Well, if you will take out your Bibles and turn to the second uh, letter to the Thessalonian church, chapter 3. We're here in the last chapter of this book. You will see as you turn there that Paul says, finally. And it's much like him preaching something like a three-point sermon where he says, my third and final point is... But like a good preacher, he still has a lot to cover. Um, And so it doesn't mean anything when we say our third and final point is. um, Doesn't necessarily mean we're getting out anytime soon. Uh, And so the letter of the Apostle Paul is actually going to continue on for a few more weeks. But we are entering into this final chapter of the Thessalonian letters as the Apostle Paul begins to land the plane, we might say begins to give some final instructions, exhortations, and encouragements. And so, uh, as we turn our attention to God's Word, we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 3. Hear now the Word of our God. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked And evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that are commanded or that we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, uh, when Beth and I found out that we were having uh, Anna Kate, our our first little girl, I was pretty adamant that we would uh, try to execute something of an old southern tradition of using a double-barreled name. If you know what I'm speaking of, Anna Catherine or Elizabeth Thomas is usually uh, uh, two first names that, that are combined together, maybe even hyphenated in some uh, sorts, where it's one name, but it's two names, it's two names, but it's one name, and you're not really sure what to call the kid. Um, that, that's something of what's going on here uh, within these five verses of chapter 3. It seems as if Paul has given us something of, of double barrels as he talks about prayer requests, confidences, and then blessings. In fact, as I was reading commentators and and even listening to a few preachers on this text this past week, they kept telling us that there's really three major points of the text, but in those three major points, there are two sub-points that exist in point A, point B, point C. And so you have main point one, A, B, main point two, A, B. Main point three, A-B. And I guess in my mind it made more sense to say that Paul is speaking somewhat of a double barrel. He gives us a double barreled prayer request. He gives us a double barreled confidence. And then he gives us a a double barreled blessing. Because his prayer request is going to have two parts. His confidence is going to have two parts. And then his benediction, this pronouncement of God's blessing is actually going to have two parts as well. Well, and so that's exactly how I want to handle this text, looking at those double-barreled aspects of uh, our five verses this evening. And the first one there, of course, is the double-barreled 
prayer request. You see, as he uh, begins to land this plane, as he begins to finish out this second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, one of the things that we have to understand very quickly about the way in which Paul is writing that we don't quite get in the English text, the original Greek is, is something of the perfect tense. It's an understanding that the, the church at Thessalonica, they have been praying for the Apostle Paul. And yet he is calling them to, to more and more prayer, specifically for these two reasons. That the word of the Lord made speed ahead, that's 1A, and then 1B is be honored. But it's not as if the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, you need to start praying. No, he's saying because you have been praying, and even furthermore, I think we can say because you, because you have experienced the, the fruit of answered prayers, even in my ministry, I want you to keep praying. You know, it's one of those things, right? It's an encouragement to pray more when the Lord begins to answer prayers. It's an encouragement, isn't it? It's a motivation for us to see the Lord answering prayers. It will cause us to fall on our knees all the more to seek out God's will in other situations or circumstances. And so Paul, knowing the power of prayer, knowing that the church at Thessalonica is devoted to prayer, he asks for them to continue praying. And he asks them first to pray, as we've already mentioned, for that the word, or so that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Now, I actually love that little phrase because it's so different than how we pray, I think, so often. But it is a, it's a powerful prayer that we need to pay careful attention to. And I actually was challenged this week to, to maybe even pray in these same words. That the Word of God might speed ahead. Or maybe, uh, as the original Greek here says, that it might move swiftly to the utter ends of the world. Now you might think, well Matt, you just added some language to that phrase. And I know I did. And I did it on purpose. Because what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's using language from Psalm 147. Because in Psalm 147, verse 15, he says, He sends out His command to the earth, talking about the Lord, His Word, and it runs swiftly. It runs swiftly. The same language that's used there in Psalm 147, 15 is the exact same language that the Apostle Paul here is using in chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And it's something that we have mentioned even this morning, and we've been mentioning it throughout our series in Psalm 119, that prayer is pleading the promises of God back to Him. How do we know that we're praying according to the will of God? Well, we pray Scripture back to Him, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He says, Lord, You have sent out Your Word, and You have carried it swiftly to the ends of the earth. I'm praying... And I'm asking the church at Thessalonica to pray that it would be all the more swift. That we would actually see it carry out to the very ends of the earth. And then in Psalm 19, 
that phrase, be honored, is actually used. It's there for us in verse 4. All the way to the ends of the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And he's talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God and the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the heavens declares God's glory. They bring Him honor. And we might not be able to hear the words. And I don't think the psalmist is saying necessarily that the, the Son absolutely, legitimately speaks. But he says that even creation brings honor to our God. And so he's saying in the same way, we want the Word of God to be honored as it moves swiftly. What is the Apostle Paul asking? The Apostle Paul is asking what we ask in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We know that God's people long for the new heavens and the new earth. We know that all of creation longs and moans looking forward to the day that all things are made right again. And he is saying, we want to see such increase of the gospel in the world that it looks like your kingdom here on earth as your kingdom reigns in heaven. It's a very good prayer in which the Apostle Paul is praying. And it's a very good prayer in which he is exhorting or challenging or asking the church at Thessalonica to pray. And I think it's a good prayer that we could utilize today if we're praying for our church, if we're praying for the churches in our city, in our state, in our presbytery, in our nation. What would be a good prayer? What would be a great prayer? Well, for the success of the gospel, right? For the inclusion of, of more people into the kingdom of Christ. For the Word of God to, to move swiftly and for it to bear fruit so that the Word of the Lord might be honored. In fact, I, I love how, how the Apostle Paul writes there at the end of verse 1, we want the, the Word of the Lord to speed ahead and be honored. Look how he writes it. As happened among you. Now what's the Apostle Paul speaking of here? Well, I think he's referring back to a text that we have reminded ourselves of multiple times throughout this series on the Thessalonian letters because it's there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, that he thanks God that when the Thessalonians heard the word of God preached, the message of salvation... It says, you accepted it not as the words of men, but for what it really was, the word of God, which performs its work in you. And, and so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is he's saying, just as it has bare, you know, borne fruit for the kingdom amongst you, sinners saved, believers sanctified, encouraged, the church is growing, standing firm amongst persecution. I want what happened amongst you to happen around the world. And so as we pray for our church planners, as we pray for our missionaries, how good would it be to celebrate what God has done here and say, God, if you can do it here at First Presbyterian Church, surely you can do it in the United Kingdom or Honduras or Japan or Ethiopia. Surely you can do it in Greenville or Knoxville, Tennessee or Roanoke, Virginia. You can... Begin to pray this prayer not only for our church specifically, but for the kingdom of Christ. And I think that we ought to do so. And so when 
Paul uses this double-barreled approach to this prayer request. He's praying that it would speed ahead and be honored, the Word of God. He also continues to pray on that they may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now, you know, one of the things that we have to, to understand here is that when Paul asked of this request, that they might be delivered from wicked and evil men, this is not theoretical for Paul. This is a, a real issue amongst the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You, you remember, right, when we were studying Galatians, we talked about the Judaizers, how they would come in and preach a false gospel, how they would come in and try to have the Gentiles obey the Jewish laws and customs and traditions. They would preach a, a, a faith plus works for salvation. Even here, as he's written to the church at Thessalonica with these two letters, he is talked of, maybe a little bit more vaguely, but talked of these men who have come in and tried to lead the people of God astray. And so what he is determined for the people of God to pray about is that his enemies would be eradicated. And I know that sounds very difficult to wrap our mind around. But beloved, there are imprecatory psalms for a reason. And if you don't understand what I mean by imprecatory psalms, you think about the, the times in which David has asked for his enemies to be put underfoot. Ask for his enemies to be destroyed. Ask for his enemies to be confused. And the Lord has granted those things. And it's not always wrong for us to pray that God's enemies would be brought to an end. Now, first and foremost, we pray for their salvation, right? We pray that the Lord might save them. We pray that the Lord would soften their hearts. We pray that the Lord would, would bring them to their spiritual senses so that they might understand their need for Christ and that they are standing against Him. But understand what the psalmist prays in Psalm 2. They're raging against God and His Son. They are plotting against Him. Not only does the Lord laugh because He has already established the throne of the Savior, but He begins to pray that the realization of the kingdom of Christ would be all the more realized even for the enemies of God. What's He praying? He's praying for the judgment, right? And so here in these five verses when he is praying that they may be delivered from wicked and evil men, of course, Paul's pastoral heart is asking that they would come to themselves. That they would understand their opposition to Christ and that they would call out Him for mercy and for grace. But, but even if the Lord wills for their deliverance to be a deliverance of judgment, He is praying for it to happen. Why? So that the Gospel might go out. So that the gospel might go out more swiftly. So that the word of the Lord might be honored. You know, one of the things that's happening before us here, even in our beloved nation, is that more and more it's legally possible to hinder the preaching of the gospel. And actually, there's no sign of that 
tendency slowing down. And so we need to pray not only for the Word of God to move swiftly through our church and through our city and through our state and our nation, even for our church planners and missionaries around the world who don't enjoy even the comforts and the freedoms that we so greatly enjoy here in America, we need to pray that the evil men who seek to do harm to the gospel, that they might be delivered from them. That's Paul's prayer request, the double-barreled prayer request. But here's a double-barreled confidence in which he speaks of here. He says there in verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. Notice he's starting his confidence with a very clear, simple, yet profound statement. The Lord is faithful, and He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do things that we command. And so the double barrel here is that the Lord, for the Thessalonian believers, He will, because He is faithful, guard them against the evil one. Now, understand what the, what the Apostle Paul has done. As he speaks in verse 2 of the wicked and the evil men that they need to be delivered from, he, he's speaking almost in the terms that he's used in chapter 2 with this spirit of lawlessness. The deceptions of the evil one, the activity of sin and unbelief. And then in verse 3, he pairs it down and he says what he said in chapter 2 very specifically, that the spirit of lawlessness, this, this spirit of unbelief exists because the evil one is behind it. Satan is active. And so he begins to, to, to cause us to, to realize that there is a major spiritual conflict that happens behind the scenes, if you will, of the gospel going forth. That as the gospel moves swiftly, as the word of the Lord is honored, as the kingdom of Christ increases and bears much fruit, we know that behind the scenes, the evil one is doing what, whatever he can do to put an end to it. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said that we will have a kingdom that is built in the very presence of the gates of hell. That's why the Lord Jesus says, don't be surprised when the world hates you because they first hated me. Don't be surprised when Satan tempts you because he has first tempted me. Uh, it's this idea in which we, we have to understand that we're not looking for demonic activity but under every rock, but we have a healthy understanding that no matter what it might be, as we're living for the gospel, Satan is going to seek to destroy it. And, and do we think in those terms as we ought? I would argue that we don't. You know, when we face struggles in many different circumstances and experiences in life, in our family or in our workplace, whatever arena it might be, have we really thought that here it is that spiritual warfare is raging? And Paul is saying that we, that we need to be aware of these things, not so that we might blame, sh blame, you know, blame shift. I, I, funnily enough, I used to hear the phrase from um, that comedian, and his name 
is slipping my mind at this time, but it's, it's that, you know, that joke, well, the devil made me do it. That's not what we're trying to say. We're not trying to, to blame shift to the evil one, but we need to understand that he's waiting to pounce us. He's crouching at our door. And, and we need to be on the lookout. It's not just the opposition of the world that we stand against. It's not just the flesh that we rage and battle against, but it's the devil. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God because we are at a, a daily impasse of struggle where we must stand against the schemes of the evil one. But what Paul is saying here is that as we fight, you fight knowing that you've already secured victory. That because the Lord is faithful, He will establish you and He will guard you against the evil one. And in fact, not only will you persevere, but you'll actually continue to be sanctified despite His, despite his thwarts. You see that the second confidence that He has is that they are doing the Word. That they are doing what has been commanded of them. You know, when Jesus ascends to the heavens, He gives us that great commission. And it's not just to evangelize, but it's also to disciple to teach them to obey all the things in which I have commanded you. The, the job of the church, when they come into our membership, is to disciple them. As they're baptized as infants, they are to be discipled. We, we don't believe that our children have to be evangelized. No, they need to be discipled. They need to be taught the things of the faith. So we, we evangelize the outsiders, we disciple the insiders. And, and that's what... The Apostle Paul saying, for you who are inside the covenant community, despite the, despite the attempts of the evil one, despite the wicked and the evil men who, who seek to do the gospel harm, what we have a confidence in is that you will continue to hear the word and obey the word. What we have a confidence in is that the Lord will not only cause you to persevere, but he'll actually cause you to grow. That's the beauty of Jesus' statement, isn't it? That we will build the kingdom of Christ right there in the very presence of the gates of hell. Psalm 23 that we sang this morning, you prepare a table before me in the, in the presence of my enemies. I heard Del Ralph Davis say years ago, we're not sitting there eating a happy meal from McDonald's quickly as we run away. No, we're sitting and we're feasting because the Lord has prepared the table. He, he's brought out the fine china and we're, we're eating and we're peacefully at rest because the enemy cannot touch us. The kingdom of God will always increase and it will always bear fruit. And so we pray that the, the evil, the evil that exists outside of the church, that we will be delivered from them, that we, that we would have this supernatural understanding that the Lord Himself must bind Satan and bind him tightly, as Brother Coble often prays, but, but also to stand, in, to stand in assurance. To stand in assurance that God is at work here amongst us. And that brings us to that final point, this double blessing in verse 5. Because he says, May the Lord direct your hearts first to the love of God. Well, the Apostle Paul here is talking about this idea of assurance. He's talking about this idea of assurance. I, 
You know, I, I know many Christians who believe the gospel, who believe every word of their Bibles, but for a whole host of reasons, they have a hard time being affirmed, being assured of their salvation. It's a, it's a problem within the evangelical church. It's a problem with, with even in me. I, I, I struggle to be assured of God's pardon for me. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is he pronounces this blessing in form of a benediction. I want the Lord to direct your hearts to the love of God. I want you to be assured of your salvation. Why? Because if we go into the, to the battle against the evil one, and His dominions, and His authorities lacking assurance, we've halfway lost the battle for the day. But if we can walk in fully assured of God's love for us, fully assured of the Gospel promises, then we can go in standing firm against the thwarts of the evil one. And so, He wants us to, to know in the midst of our trials and tribulations, in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our hard circumstances, even in the midst of spiritual warfare, that the Lord gives us an assurance of our salvation, assurance by His Word and Spirit that we are children of God, soldiers of the cross. But then secondly, this double barrel that He wants our hearts to be directed not only to the love of God, but also the steadfastness of Christ. You know, as we think about the, the letters of, of, of the first and second Thessalonians to the, to the church at Thessalonica, you know, if I think I could summarize it, it, it would be something like, you know, living through trials in the light of Jesus' return or, or, or enduring the suffering of a sinful world until Jesus returns, something along those lines. And the Apostle Paul knows there's, there's something to this. This idea of enduring, enduring hard circumstances, enduring trials and tribulations. But one of the things that we need to understand is that God has never asked us to endure something that His Son has not already endured. Our God is never going to ask us to endure something that He has not already endured. Endured, And so when it comes to endurance in the Christian life, what the Apostle Paul is, is saying here, where our hearts are directed to the steadfastness of Christ, he's saying, you look to Him. He suffered. He experienced pain. He experienced sorrow. He was rejected and mocked, tortured, and even put to death. If He endured all those things for you, you can make it. You can stand firm. You can endure. You can get through it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying because Christ has endured, because Christ was steadfast, you remain steadfast. May the Lord direct you into the endurance of Christ. Because there's nothing that the Lord is going to ask you to endure that Jesus has not already endured and actually much more. And so this, this first little chunk of Paul's conclusion helps direct our prayer life. Gives us a confidence and assurance, a further confidence and assurance of the Gospel and the Gospel promises. And then calls us to remain steadfast 
for our Jesus was steadfast. And may He write those things upon our hearts. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to this, uh, this Word. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue to walk this pilgrim way all the way until Jesus returns, that You would uh, indeed spur us on to pray for the Gospel to be advanced, for it to move swiftly. We pray, Lord, that You would save Your enemies. And yet, if it be Your will, that You would not save them, that You would deliver us from wicked and evil men. We pray, Lord, that Your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, and that You would, and that you would guard us from the evil one, knowing that we have a confidence in Jesus Christ, the great High Priest, who has been tempted in every way we are, yet He has done it without sin. And so, Lord, let us look to Him as we are enduring trials and tribulations so that we might, with our eyes cast upon Jesus, endure to the very end. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we will rejoice in the reward of our perseverance, that as You carry us all the way to glory and we receive that crown of life, we will cast it at the feet of the King because our real inheritance is not the crown that He giveth but on the pierced hand of the Lamb who was slain. Let our eyes be on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, until He comes again and ushers us into His presence. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Well, if you'll please stand, we'll receive the Lord's blessing. I'm going to use that fifth verse of chapter 3. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ until we reach glory. Amen.